Good morning. Good to see each of you. I needed the fellowship of this community this morning, and don't underestimate your part in that as we come together and share life and encourage one another and live out as a faith family life together. Um, The Bible says that Paul is telling young Timothy, who was at Ephesus, a very difficult city, that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And truth's not always comfortable. Because sometimes truth runs cross-grain against our feelings. And feelings really are the caboose. Fact is the engine. Faith is sort of that coal car. And the caboose is there trailing behind. And the train will still get to its destination without the caboose. But God's design is that our feelings align with truth as we put our faith in what is true. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, where John read for us this morning. And part of that truth is God's design of preaching. We've talked about that a few weeks ago. There is a purposeful monologue that happens when God's people gather. And Paul also warned Timothy that in the end times, people will not endure sound, right, healthy teaching. And this kind of a monologue does take endurance. We need to build, build that up into our hearts to endure healthy teaching, healthy doctrine. In 1993, moral ethicist Peter Singer horrified many, especially Americans, by suggesting that no newborn should be considered a person until 30 days after birth and that the attending physician should kill some disabled babies on the spot. Five years later, his appointment as decamp professor of bioethics at Princeton University ignited a firestorm of controversy and resistance, though his ideas about abortion and infanticide, the killing and the intentional killing of infants, were not new. In 1979, I was 10 years old. He wrote this, human babies are not born self-aware or capable of grasping that they exist over time. They are not persons. Therefore, he says, the life of a newborn is of less value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. More recently, American University professor Jeffrey Riemann asserted that unlike mature human beings, Infants do not, quote, possess in their own right a property that makes it wrong to kill them. How would you respond to them? What most people will do is they will shout one of the Ten Commandments into the darkness and feel better about their stance. Thou shalt not kill. Or they will vote for a political candidate who makes this a primary issue, even though when in office they do very little about it, and somehow we then feel better about the stance we have taken. But why is that a convincing argument? Thou shalt not kill. You say, well, because the Bible says so. Okay, true. But why is the killing of a human wrong, and why is that any different than the killing of a cow 
for steak and hamburger? Do you have an answer? Because the opposition would refute your argument by saying the Bible also condones ethnic cleansing, slavery, bride price, and the sacrifice of children, Abraham and Isaac. They take advantage of the complexity of Old Testament ethics. So instead of just thou shalt not kill, we need to know why God has said don't kill. And is there an answer? Is there a foundation for our belief, our conviction as Christians for where we stand? This is the second sermon in a series entitled The Big Picture of the Bible from the Beginning to the End. And we are taking a high-level view, sort of a broad, big-picture view of Scripture, and we're tracing the thread of the single storyline from the beginning to the end which is actually then a new beginning. Here's where we're going. Genesis chapters 1 to 4, perfect creation and what went wrong. War, hate, greed, evil. In the natural world, more than 11,300 this morning dead from the floods in Libya. 10,000 still missing, washed out into the ocean. Something is wrong. And then Romans 1-4, to what did God do about it? And we need to have that answer. We need to be able to, in a world that, is, that retains so much of God's beauty and creativity and aesthetics, we know something's wrong and we need to have an answer that is good news. That God stepped back into His creation and did something about it. The curse, the fall, destruction, brokenness, violence, sadness. And somehow that didn't take God off guard because He made a plan before the foundation of the world. Even before He created the world, He had a plan that's good news. Somehow it all fits His plan and He did something beautiful amidst the ashes. And then finally, Revelation 18-21, to how is it going to end and we have, we have the beautiful privilege of opening up to the last book of our Bible and getting a peek at how it ends and realizing that the end is simply the beginning of a better story. And that's called hope. Because we don't want to live this world. I don't want to live the 54 years I've already lived for eternity. I hardly want to live them for another 54 years but we have hope in something that's ahead. This is what brings us to the first chapter in the first book of the Bible, and I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. The image of God is a biblical doctrine regarding the nature and purpose of mankind. Genesis 1 details 
the creation account of the eternal God, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, before anything else, God. He doesn't offer proofs. He doesn't really give any arguments. He just states a fact. God was there. In the beginning, God created this eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-wise, all-loving, and sovereign God chose to create. When God moves to create humanity, His pinnacle of work on the earth, the formation of human life, in Genesis 1, you'll see this sort of, not abstract, but in personal wording. For example, in verse 1, let there be. Verse 6, let there be. Verse 9, let there be. Verse 11, let there be. Verse 14, let there be. Let the, verse 20, let the, verse 24. It's, it's deliberately impersonal. But when he goes to create man and woman, I want you to notice what happens. There's a shift. Then God said, and now it's personal, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. There is a self-communing plurality that is used. There is this close, intimate communion where it's not let it be or let the waters or let the light, but let us now make something personal. And you're supposed to sense the change. And the stress falls on man and woman's distinctness. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean to be created in His likeness? Because this really is the basis for the laws of morality from which we live. After the fall, humans are still said to be in God's image, Genesis 9-6. After the fall, James 3-9, we are still not supposed to curse one another or talk evil about one another because we still have the likeness of God. So even though the image is marred, we still image Him. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be in His likeness? Men and women are given a particular likeness to God that nothing else in all of creation has. The word for image is interesting. It's the Hebrew word selem and has the meaning of something that is carved or cut out. Something that resembles something else or images or reflects something else. John Calvin explains that, quote, man resembles him and that in Him God's glory is contemplated as in a mirror. To image God, to be in His likeness, is to reflect or to resemble or to represent. If I were to offer to, to sketch you, bring out my sketch pad and my pencils, I stopped painting in high school because I'm colorblind and I was getting the colors wrong, so if I were to go in to sketch a, a, a portrait of you and I took 30 minutes and you just saw me over here working, 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 you'd be getting excited thinking, I wonder what it's going to look like. And I turn it around and it is the perfect representation of a muddy warthog. 
What would you say? Would you be flattered? No, why? It doesn't image you. It doesn't represent you. There's no accurate reflection. But if I were able to sketch you, a portrait of you, and able to do an accurate representation in it from an angle and from a perspective that you were even pleased with, that would bring you great joy because it reflects you. It represents you. That's the picture of being in God's image and in His likeness. Atheist Daniel Dennett charges God with vanity. He says he's just a superman who has an appetite for praise. And that seems to be justified by the idea that God makes humans in His image. As another man said, like a vain toy maker, He creates dolls that look just like Him. What's interesting is the atheists understand what being in the image of God entails. We resemble Him. We reflect Him. But that charge fails, and let me explain to you why. If you say that my six children resemble me, I take that as a compliment. That they act just like their father. They look very much like their... Now, my kids might not like that comparison, but I would be flattered, encouraged. Matter of fact, look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. On a human level, these same words are used. Genesis 5, verse 3, it says this, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Here you have a human son resembling a human father in a similar way that we as humans, men and women, image our Father. Imaging involves dominion, rule, and covenant communion, love. Just like my children are the beneficiaries to, in my will to my house, land, stocks, property, they will then care for it, dominion, they benefit from it, and that's partly based on family covenant, in many ways unconditional. There's a reason that you as a church family or my close friends will not inherit my property and my wealth because you're not that kind of family. But when we image God, there's dominion, there's rule. It's called a, a, a sort of a vice regency. We are crowned to rule in God's place. And we get to enjoy a covenant communion. But it's marred, and it's something that only redemption can recreate and perfect. Why does this matter? Why are we like parking right here on this phrase? Here's why the image of God in us matters. It matters for identity. Is that a problem in our culture? It matters for value. It matters for self-image. It matters for gender distinction. It matters for our work. It matters for our purpose in life. And it matters because it starts to answer the question, this huge worldview question of what's wrong in the world. And what's wrong is that that image of God in us has been marred through the curse of Genesis chapter 3. 
We image God, and I want you to track, track with me here. We are in the likeness of God in many ways, mentally, morally, socially, and vocationally. Let me explain each of those quickly. Mentally, humanity, apart from all the other creation, is a rational being, a volitional agent. In other words, we can think, we can reason, and we choose. If I were to pass by you this morning in the hallway and I said something clearly sarcastic in communication, right? Nice shirt. I could say that to my Jack Russell. Nice fur. He doesn't get it. He's wagging his tail. I'm talking to him. But we we can reason and we have rationalization and we think. We'll see that in Genesis 2 and 3 in the weeks to come. We reflect God's intelligence. Think about this. Anytime someone invents something, grows something, makes a paper airplane in the copy room this morning, anytime someone grows something, My daughter has her first garden this year, and yesterday I took one of her fresh jalapeno peppers and cut it up and put it on a chicken salad sandwich. Anytime someone paints a portrait, writes a book, enjoys a symphony or a concert, calculates a sum, or names a pet, what they are saying is that we image God. Morally, humanity was created in righteousness and true holiness. Those terms, by the way, are used about Jesus Christ recreating us in Ephesians 4.24. We have the, the ability to determine right from wrong universally. We can eat from all of these trees, but not from this one tree. We know obedience from disobedience. We reflect God's holiness God saw all that He made, humanity included, and He said it was very good. Whenever someone writes a law, reacts to evil with justice, protects a child from a predator, praises good behavior, knows right from wrong, what they are saying is that we image God. We are in His likeness. That's why you can travel to a remote indigenous island out in the South Pacific who may have never heard of Jesus Christ, and they are living by a set of laws that the animals in the Serengeti are not living by because they image God. Socially, humanity was created for fellowship. This reflects God's triune nature, His love, or what we would call an eternal fellowship. Listen to what Jesus prayed in John 17, 22. He says this to the Father, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. He, he prays that for humans to know that communal fellowship that is intended to be eternal. In Eden, humanity's primary relationship was with each other and with God. Genesis 3.8 implies that. It says this, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Close fellowship is how we also image God. As a matter of fact, the first time God said something wasn't good was even before sin entered the world. What did He say? It is not good that what? I mean, if you read Genesis, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Something's not good. It is not good that man should be alone, right? Mrs. Giraffe had Mr. Giraffe. 
Mr. Ringtailed Lemur has Mrs. Ringtailed Lemur. It's not really exactly like that, but for sake of illustration. But for man, God said there was no one. He was alone, and it's not good. So he creates for him, and actually it is a beautiful picture. He creates for him woman. Do you know that every time somebody laughs or groans at a dad joke or relates or makes a friend or marries or hugs their child or gathers in community or shows up here with about 80 other people, what we are saying is we are made in the image of God. We are social creatures. It also has to do with work. Look back at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The word subdue there has to do with part of his responsibility. There's a second word, and have dominion. So you have subjugation and dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you know that when we explore or investigate or develop or build and fill the earth, we are imaging God? Do you know even in here we have, think about it, engineers, pilots, welders, physicians, electricians, teachers, accountants, beekeepers, financial advisors, coaches, and house cleaners. There is a sense in which we are imaging God in what we do. If you were to get on a southwest plane tomorrow morning and everything was going as normal and you came down a little alleyway and you're trying to get there in a loading zone because it's southwest and they welcome you and you say good morning and you look to the left and sitting in both pilot seats are two donkeys would you still find your seat? Why do you take confidence in a pilot who has training and has expertise? Because humans have the ability to image God in a different way than all of other creation. Let me go to a few implications and then let's talk about how that image has been marred. Actually, let me go to how that image was marred first and then end with the implications as our applications. Part of being made in God's image is that Adam and Eve were responsible for their choices. There were no prohibitions to the animals. There was nothing off limits. But to the man and the woman, there was. Because God is God, and they are His creation. Even though they were given a righteous nature, Adam and Eve made an independent choice to go against, to rebel, to go against the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. They, 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 they deliberately chose to, to go against what God said He desired and was pleased with. And in so doing, they marred the image of God within themselves. They damaged the likeness. Romans 5.12 says this, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we are sinners, yes, because of Adam, 
But we are also sinners, yes, because of our own choice. Mentally, morally, socially, vocationally, physically, the image has been marred, and we show that. In our work, we can become greedy and lazy. In our social relationships, we become embittered and hostile. The image has been marred. Sin has affected every aspect of us. Some of you have heard that as total depravity. And total depravity does not mean that each of us is acting out as evil as we possibly can. The potential is there, but we're not acting on it. Totally depraved means that sin has affected every single aspect of our nature. It has marred the image of God in every single area. The good news is this, that when God redeems, when He saves, when He rescues, when He delivers an individual, He begins to restore or recreate in them His image. Matter of fact, Ephesians 4.24 says this, The new self, created to be like God, likeness, in true righteousness and holiness that begins as Christ saves us. Matter of fact, Isaiah 59.2 says this, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. And in Christ, He then reconciles us back to Him. And now, through Christ, we are made new creations in the likeness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a, a what? A new creation. In John 3, Jesus would say, born again. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What are the implications for us then as believers living in this South Denver front-range culture about the doctrine of the image of God. The first implication is this, and this is minor, but it's important. It matters how we care for the earth, our property, and our animals. It really does. And some of you are having a knee-jerk reaction because you're thinking, climate activist, no. Actually, us caring for this earth is grounded in Genesis chapter 1. Our stewarding the earth, our stewarding the areas that we live in, the space that you occupy should be better because you're there. It should be full of light, not darkness. It should be permeated with love, not hate. The space that you take up on the earth should look better and be better, and everyone who shares that space with you should also be better. We are placed here to reign, to subdue, to cultivate, to fill, and to care. Peter Singer, the illustration I opened up with, though he said it's not wrong to simply outright kill infants, is a very strong animal activist. Though the very laws upon which animal care and animal rights are founded, he has discarded, because it's the Old Testament, Animal rights are grounded in God's Word. Though there is nothing that suggests you should, you should push your dog around in a stroller in a mall. Still getting used to that one. 
listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 8.1, but God remembered Noah 40 days and 40 nights in an almost windowless ark would have been difficult. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts. Isn't that beautiful? And all the livestock that were with him in the ark. The Ten Commandments forbade overworking animals. Exodus 23.12 Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest. Listen what the law required you to do to your enemies animals in exodus 23 4 to 5 if you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey that has strayed away take it back to its owner if you see that the donkey of someone who hates you has collapsed under its load do not walk by instead stop and help i think i have i read the nlt i believe this is the esv you're supposed to rescue it and take it back to your enemy Proverbs 12.10 Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. The end of Jonah. Jonah was this bitter missionary to to the Ninevites. And he was hoping God would not grant revival. Isn't that a great missionary? God tells him that you pity the plant which grew up in a night You didn't make it grow. You didn't labor for it. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? 120,000 infants who according to atheists today have zero capacity and should just be annihilated? Well, God pities them and also much even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount he says the birds of the air consider them are you anxious your heavenly father feeds them and he says in Matthew 10 29 are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father As we image God, we care for the world that's around us. We don't kick animals. We don't torture them. We care. The second implication is this. It matters how we view ourselves. By that I do not mean self-love, but I do mean a proper assessment of who we are, a self-awareness. Understanding that we are made in the image of God and in His likeness brings incredible purpose and it should bring deep humility. I would guess yesterday out at Clement Park where we had a tent set up and we were handing out free popcorn and gospel literature and free flowers made by our own people that more than 100 people interacted with us. And every single one of those people actually is a reminder that they image God. They interacted. Some of them avoided us because it said Highlands Baptist Church. Others came in seeking that fellowship or some connection. And what was very starkly different is at the tent next to us was a young lady and she had a little corgi dog. And I would go and pet the corgi and he would be happy to see me and I'd, I'd squat down and pet him and he'd wag his tail and he'd 
But that was totally different than interacting with humanity who was made in the image of God. And thousands of years haven't changed how we interact with dogs and humans. Do you know that you have dignity and value and worth? Hopelessness, which sometimes leads to suicide. People need to be reminded they are made in the image and likeness of God. There is value. There is purpose. Matter of fact, Paul says this in Romans 1, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, God's creation tells you there is a God the pinnacle of His creation. Look around at the people you know and don't know and like and maybe don't like. Everyone sitting in here in some way images God to you in a way that nothing else in creation can. The broad reference to the things that have been made suggests that in some sense every created thing gives evidence of God's character. The Victoria Falls, the Himalayas, manatee, butterflies, lilies, But man himself and woman herself tell you something special about who God is, his image and his likeness. Blindly, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. said this, I see no reason for attributing to man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or to a grain of sand. Bertrand Russell, often quoted by new atheists, said, if I were granted omnipotence and millions of years to experiment in, I should not think man much to boast of as the final result of all my efforts. Do you know God disagrees with those two men? In Matthew 6, 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father? God cares for His fragile creatures, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, verse 31, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. See, God does place more value on you than His animal creation. In our culture, some people identify now as animals. How many of you are familiar with this? They're called otherkins or therians or trans species or furries. And there were some at Clement Park yesterday. It's a term used to define individuals who identify as animals, some more closely than others. And some of you go to school with furries, and some of you teach at schools that leaves out cat beds for a person identifying as a cat. Tom Peters, a resident of London, describes having a Dalmatian-like feeling as opposed to that of a human. Remember, we live in a culture that places feelings above fact. Tom Peters was married, is no longer married, and seemed to lead a typical life until he made the decision to identify as a Dalmatian. And I'm not using this in any way to mock this man. I find this very sad. But it's to make a point. He now moves on all fours. He doesn't eat human food. He sleeps in a kennel. He barks and spends his nights locked up. And he goes by the name Spot rather than Tom. 
The self-acclaimed human puppy said, I like to be out and proud. My puppy side just felt right inside of me, and it's really who I am. What this man did is he exchanged his royal identity of being in the image and likeness of God to act like in behavior one of God's creations over which we are to have dominion. He chose to identify as something other than what God made him, and it's a distortion and a disparagement of his image. And this verse came to mind, 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Listen to the next phrase. Who is the image of God. Do you know you were made in the image and likeness of God and therefore have value and worth? And people need to hear the good news that they too are made in the image and likeness of God and have value and worth? And they are loved just as Jesus said, I care for the tiniest and most fragile of my creation, but you are of much more value than the animal world? And yet Tom will give an account to the Lord as a man created in the image of God. Matthew 22:15-22. The Pharisees plotted to entangle Jesus in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, and listen to the flattery. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. You can almost hear it in their voices. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Who put me, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness, same word that we've been considering, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. It bears his mark, his likeness, his image, therefore honor him. It's not the answer we wanted either, is it? And then he says this, and render to God the things that are God's. You have a mark on you. You have an image. You're stamped. And it's the image of God Therefore, give to God what is His. The honor and the glory and the power and the dominion forever and ever. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left Him and went away. Because they bore the image of God and they were not honoring God and they knew it. The final implication in our conclusion is that the doctrine of the image of God demands we esteem every human being infinitely seriously. Regardless of color, it's very easy to be indignant against abortion and stifle the extreme racism against other people in our hearts. And in that case, you have failed to understand the image of God. 
James 3 says, with it our tongue. We bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people. In some of your lifetimes, there have been churches in America, white Baptist churches, who would kick out black people from attending. In our lifetime, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. We sing amazing grace. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. In a sermon by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called The American Dream, he said this, You see, the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible. The whole concept of the Imago Dei, as is expressed in Latin, the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God. We talked about that, that eternal communal fellowship. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard. Precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day we will learn that. Yes, we will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. And that is all sunk into deeply, the doctrine of the image of God. Let me close again with valuing human life because there is a push led by men like Peter Singer and a push in the Western academic world that is starting to seep into all of culture where a human has rights only based on capacity, meaning can they think, can they reason, are they self-aware? Peter Singer believes human rights are grounded in these capacities and goes towards functionalism, which is the belief that defines human persons by what they can and cannot do. Do you know genocides have been fueled by similar conclusions? Genesis 9-6, I want you to hear this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, capital punishment, why? For God made man in his own image. If you take Singer's argument farther, born infants, like unborn babies, don't have capacities either. Neither do people with cognitive degeneration or severely mentally handicapped conditions. You can almost hear this bloodthirsty dragon behind all of this that Jesus warned us about in John 10.10 when He said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan hates the image of God in humanity. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, there is a God. There is a transcendent law established in Genesis chapter 1 that gives every human soul, even unborn babies, value and worth. It gives every person, whether Kenyan or Vietnamese, 
or Mexican or American in all different classes and all different educational levels, value and worth, the same value and worth because they image God. They are in His likeness. Colossians 1.15, and this is our close. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He was sent. And when we see Him, we beheld His glory, that of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. In John 14.9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. He images the likeness of the Father perfectly. Last passage. Beloved, 1 John 3.2, We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Next week, we're going to talk about how God is transforming us from one degree of glory to another with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord that we are, listen to what 2 Corinthians says, being transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Jesus Christ came, yes, to save. And we talk about the good news, the Gospel, and we think about that as Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and that is the Gospel. And that He rose again the third day. That's the Gospel. But here's also the good news. God created you in His image and likeness, and you have incredible value and worth. And this culture needs to hear that message And it's not enough for us to shout into the darkness, thou shalt not kill, but to be salt and light and influence makers as we value the worth of every single soul, born and unborn.